Welcome to Diving Into Crypto. Diving Into Crypto. A weekly series where thought leaders share insights, strategies, and insider stories about all things crypto and Web3. Brought to you by Adlunum. Welcome, welcome, welcome to this episode of Diving Into Crypto. This is JP from Adlunum INC bringing you everything about Web3. This show is all about the movers, the shakers, the candlestick watchers, and everybody who's making uh, some spectacular waves in the Web3 industry. And we're here to hear and learn about their journeys. A few points before we begin, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to remind you that views expressed on this program belong to those of the speaker and information shared is meant for educational purposes only. It is not to be considered as financial advice. In case we get cut off from the show, please come back to Adlunum INC and you will find yourself a new link where you can jump back in and continue our program as scheduled. Should you have any questions for the speaker, we have a segment towards the end where we can take your questions and our guest speaker today can, can answer them for you. If not, write them into Adlunum INC or to the speaker and we will see that they get answered as early as possible. That being said, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to also remind you to please interact with our speakers. So use those emojis. Uh, feel free to, to send in a comment about something that you've liked because our speakers here spend their time uh, sharing their journeys, their insights, their, their strategies, and also their gems of information with us so that we can be better in this industry. That being said, once again, I'd like to welcome you to the show and also our guest today. Our guest today is Harry Behrens. Uh, Behrens, I hope I'm saying that right. Please correct me later on. He's the founder and chairman and the CTO at Bloxmove. Bloxmove has been doing some very, very interesting work in this space, and I'm going to let Harry tell you all about that. Harry, welcome to the show. Thank you for accepting our invitation. Over to you. Yes, thank you for having me. And uh, yes. So I'm um, looking really forward to speak about decentralization, applying it to the industries of power and mobility. And uh, yeah, in general, exchange about this, what I find one of the most exciting and disruptive fields of technology that's out there right now. And indeed it is, Harry. So uh, before we dive right into that, like this, you know, it's a very, very interesting space that you're working in because it opens up such a wide arc of opportunities, especially in the Web3 space, in the blockchain space, and in the crypto space as well. Uh, and I want to hear all about that. Uh, but to start with, just to give the audience a, a little perspective about who you are, uh, a little of your background before you jumped into Bloxmove and, um, you know, what got you here today. Well, okay, so um, I'm, the short version is I'm a software man through and through. So I've, uh, I got a master's, it's called a diploma in computer science from Germany. I got a PhD from the University of Tokyo in artificial intelligence. I've always worked in software, every single job you can possibly imagine from consultant, network administrator, programmer, system admin, CTO, software. And it's always where computation means communication. 
So always on the back end of things, always where there's what's called protocol. So chattering mm -hmm. computers, computers talk to each other, exchange info. That's where my field is. And I've always worked in ventures all my life. But then in 2015, I got the chance, opportunity, whatever you may call it, to actually enter Daimler, so the Mercedes mother company. And I got totally mm -hmm. immersed in how mobility is changing, how the world of mobility, which is based on you buy a car, is shifting to be mobility is a service, which you consume with an app. And how your mm -hmm. actual moving will not be you buy a car, but it will be consumer service. And that's got me hooked. And I was privately always connected to the blockchain world ever since I saw the disruptive and revolutionary potential in what at the end of the mm -hmm. day, first Satoshi Nakamoto and then Vitalik Buterin have brought to the world. And I managed to convince the company that this new world of mobility as a service very well is very fragmented and fragmentation and decentralization fit like hand in glove. And that's essentially how I got there. So we, they accepted it, the board accepted it. I got the op opportunity to set up the Daimler Mobility Blockchain Factory. We developed exactly that kind of technology. And then when it came to take to market, I got the chance, there's a longer story behind this, to do a management buyout with two co-founders. We took the software that I had been developing there with my team for three years. We took it out, it's now ours. We went into Outlier Ventures, which is probably the European best accelerator program if you're in the Web3 world. And well, the rest is the history of Bloxmove. Wow, that's quite a remarkable journey. I, I love how you, you put that, um, you know, and, and certainly also want to have a brief about that 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 story where you were able to to get a buyout those those are the 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 moments that really make these journeys interesting i want to focus uh for for a second before we we go down that arc on you know what was the moment that you realized that hey you know web3 is the space to be for me well i have always had a uh, you would call it crypto-anarchistic, anarchistic libertarian streak. So I don't mm -hmm. like dominance of markets. I don't like trusts. I don't like monopolies. It feels unfree. Mm -hmm. It feels exploitative. It feels oppressive. And what we've right. seen, uh, I'm a big fan of technology, and I love what the internet, what TCP IP and everything that's built on top of it has brought. Mm -hmm. But then we've seen it become the property of very few people and the large, 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 80, 90 percent of the profit that's being mm -hmm. generated on the right. Internet, which is such wonderful technology, accrues to very, very, very few people. And that seems to my personal disclaimer, purely personal, no political statement here, but that seems wrong. It shouldn't be like this. And it should be that not an aggregator who sits somewhere, burns Silicon Valley money to basically dump mm -hmm. and burn markets, puts everybody out of business because they're essentially dumping, right. because they're delivering below cost. Everybody else goes bankrupt. They get the customer relationship. They hold the data. They're the only ones that can improve the product. And the people that actually deliver a service, take Uber or Bolt, they become cogs in the mm -hmm. machine. And then these right. kind of aggregators turn around and basically start squeezing and turning the screw. 10% commission, 15% commission, and now it's 25 
up to 30% commission. That's of revenue, not of profit. And if you think right. about it, I know no legal business, except for pharma, mm -hmm. maybe, where you mm -hmm. have margins of 25%. It's, it's not doable. But yet these... So long story short, when Web3 came right. out, it promised and it still promises you can scale mm -hmm. at the speed that we have seen in the internet, which is what you need to do in the world of software, but you can scale mm -hmm. in a decentralized way, which is decentralization is exactly the opposite of aggregation. So it doesn't end up in the hand of one company and one pocket and one wallet, but it becomes mm -hmm. a common infrastructure, which is shared and probably creates more wealth in total and in a much more balanced way. So the people that produce the value get the value. That's what got me hooked. You know, it, I, I like how you, you put that we are all cogs in this, this entire wheel and the role of aggregation, you know, and, and, they, they, and they have been benefits, right? But when you, when you really look at it, I mean, uh, and, and you look at the, the aspect of, of a commission model, so to speak, uh, taking away that 25, 30% away from revenue and not just your, you know, um, not just the, the turnover as a whole or not just, uh, that, that's a huge, huge chunk. Indeed, yes. And of course, for the customers, nothing, I mean, for the customers, it's perfect. I will admit, I love what Amazon gives me. I have to admit, there is no friend in my life who gives me such good recommendations to read books. I'm a great, I'm, I love reading books, right? The recommendation of Amazon is beautiful. My best friend would right. not be able to choose a book as well as Amazon does. Respect, right? But right. how did that come to happen? All of the improvement potential lies in owning every single interaction, business relationship, billing relationship, customer relationship, and then putting the power of AI, data aggregation, data analysis on top of it. And this is why these services are so good. But it is based on it belonging to one central organization. And power is nice, but absolute power corrupts. And this is not sustainable. Mm -hmm. And you already see it. The policymakers have finally woken up to that. The heyday of the big aggregators is over. They're getting flack everywhere. They're being pushed back mm -hmm. from the US to Europe. Even China, in its own way, is putting them back into their place. This cannot continue. Mm -hmm. We must find a new way. Generate wealth. Make business. I'm not, right. I'm not socialist in any way. But make right. the people that produce to be the people that benefit and still give the customer the benefit of this seamlessness, this smoothness, this, I don't need to install more than one or two or three apps and I get all I want. That's the goal, the objective. Right. Right. The, the, the more that you're able to, to have uh, a direct line to your customer, whether it's a business to business or whether it's a, a business to a customer, business to any of these business models, right? It's always been recognized that that is, of course, by far, uh, the most sustainable model because you you have your brand loyalty that comes into it. You you have your mm. um, uh, you know you you have your loyalty that comes with that business and it's a it's an undermined uh, portion, but that's the holy grail that uh, every business seeks. Precisely, exactly. And yeah. because what okay. does Web three mm. give? 
Yeah. No, 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 please go ahead. And what does Web3 give you? I mean, in the end, what is it? I mean, you can do semantics very, you can call it, you can focus on the crypto part, on the investment part, on whatever. I'm essentially a techie at heart. So I'll focus right. on the mechanisms, the power that it puts in your hand, the tools. And all of a sudden, I mean, what is the, why is, why did Airbnb and Amazon and Uber get so big? What is the right. benefit they provide? They provide seamless handling of the business transaction, if you boil it down. Essentially, the customer does a one-time onboarding, identifies herself, provides a billing connection, end of discussion pretty much. Sometimes KYC, sometimes not. But anyway, that's that. And then everything is handled fully automatically. And Amazon and Facebook and Uber, they've put in amazing software machinery precisely for that, which due to it, it wasn't available, is their own proprietary. But now, what is Web3? Well, mm -hmm. let's put it this way. What is the Web 2? Web 2 is a network that manages flawless, more or less, universal transmission of data packets from one, per, from, one per, from one sender to one or more receivers. So it just transports data. And it does this without you having to worry about this. It's behind the router. It's part of the common infrastructure already. So when you whatever you write as code, you don't write TCP IP. You don't write SMTP, which is mm -hmm. a protocol for email. You don't write HTTP. You don't write any of that. Mm -hmm. Not a single line of code anymore. You focus on the business on top of it. And the rest is outside mm -hmm. of your router in the big cloud. Now, what's Web3? The very same, but what's outside of your router is payment service provider, banking, accounting, settlement, reconciliation. All of that is now, all of a sudden, part of the, it's there anyway, you don't need to program it anymore. And it's handled flawlessly, no clawback possible, it's totally immutable, it's essentially ultra secure, it's definitely more secure than any banking software you got running on your laptop or on your uh, um, phone. And that is, if you think that through, now that puts some amazing power into the people that understand it and know how to put it to use. And to put it to uses, you just code. Mm -hmm. And let me tell you as a coder, Web3 is incredibly right. hard to understand. The learning curve, the understanding curve is very, very mm -hmm. difficult because it's this crypto approach. You deal with completely different concepts that have no parallel in your real life. But right. the code is actually very, very, very simple. If I want to set up a simple Web2 web shop, I am downloading mm -hmm. a framework that's an easy 200 megabyte, 500 megabyte of source code, and I haven't written a single line of code. The whole mm -hmm. ERC721, for those who don't know, that's NFT, is less than 500 right. lines of code. Less than 500 lines of code, which you can read on a leisurely afternoon, is all there is to it, because the rest is in the protocol. So the programming is incredibly cheap and incredibly efficient because the code is still so very, very, very small. You know, uh, and that's I, some amazing I love power. the fact that you've, I, I love the fact that you've, you've, you've put it that way because, you know, it, it creates a lot of perspective for, for those of us that are not coders and, and those of us that often do not understand the, com the, the complexity behind what we see as the ease of use. Uh, 
classic case where you're, where you're talking about, you know, uh, it's so easy when it comes to Amazon, the, the recommendations that come in. Uh, it's so easy when it comes to Airbnb because, you know, you you interact once and then it's got your it's got your data and your your recommendations come in or your ease of use uh, is the only thing that we focus on. And the one thing we do not focus on is the complexity of the code. So it's very interesting where you when you break it down that Web3 has that simplicity in the complexity. Exactly. That's the beauty of it. That is truly the beauty. Indeed, indeed. Now, um, I'm curious to, to 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 follow this up with, um, you you started, you know, you you started uh, blocks move, right? And you you've looked at it from a perspective of a business, and you know, I'm I'm going to go out and limb you and say it, uh, a business that does not appear sexy, a business that does not <laughs> appear to have a lot of appeal when it comes to when you're talking about okay, from from a mobility standpoint, uh, some of us indeed. are grappling with that, but yeah. I am not hearing anything that you anymore. wanted to, to sure. work am... in Web3. Ah, yeah. I'm not sure if you're cut off or I'm cut off. I'm not hearing anything. Or, oh, okay. Uh, let me let me uh, repeat that question. What I wanted to know was what led you to start Blocks Move and in the space of, of mobility, as, as you said it? Okay, yes, so that's an interesting story. Yes, of course, it's very, it's, it's less than sexy, but if you measure it as a market, the mobility market, mobility as a service market, that is humongous. It's hundreds of billions. It's in the range of 500 billion to 1 trillion worldwide per year. Because think about it. I would assume that I'm not sure how many people we got in the group here. It looks like about 100. So if we have 100 people in the call, my fair guess is I'm pretty, at least 80 of them live in a city. So that's right. number one. And if you live in a city, you will either live in a city and drive a car and then suffer, mm -hmm. you know, traffic jams. Or if you're lucky and here the European cities are pretty much on top mm -hmm. of everything, plus Singapore, mm -hmm. you will more and more use transport means, public transport, taxi, whatever, Uber yes. for all it's worth, blocks move now in Nigeria, but whatever. So you're using mobility. So then amount of, it's called people kilometer per year. So the, ama the amount of mm -hmm. kilometers that people move is steadily increasing, but it's becoming harder mm -hmm. and harder, especially in the city, because the cities also don't want it. I mean, just look at congestion charge yeah. in London. People don't want the cars in the city anymore. And right. what there's a big, uh, there was a big strategic movement in all of the automotive industry. So mm -hmm. let's exclude Tesla because Tesla always is unique in its own way, but every yeah. single European car maker, they had something they called mm -hmm. CASE or a derivative of it. Mm -hmm. It's a CASE stands for connected, autonomous or automated service or software and electrification. So it's the new paradigm shift in how mobility gets consumed. Your father probably bought a car in cash. If you're American, then right. he might have already leased. If you're European, he probably paid cash. You yourself, mm -hmm. I don't know exactly how old you are. I'm assuming you have a car. If you have one, you're probably leasing mm -hmm. it or your company is leasing it for you. And by the sound of your voice, you probably are still in the age group where you do have a car. Now, if you look at right. the 18-year-old or those that are becoming to 18 years old, they, some of them don't even have a driving license, which was unthinkable in my age group. 
We had a driving license, 18 plus one month. We had a driving license, every single one of us, at least from the male side of things. That was definitely the case, right? So the love of the car and the acceptance of the car is moving, is going away, it's reduced, and mobility is still active. And how is mobility now delivered? Well, you call a taxi, you buy a ticket and enter the subway or the tram, you use an electric scooter, you whatever. So it's you're using services depending on the mode you currently need. So a fragmentation, first of all, in the modality, in the means of moving. So there's a fragmentation from, it used to be the car from A to B and B to A. Now it's, you possibly take the car, let's say in Europe, to a park and ride at the outskirts of town. Then you take the trunk over um, overland. So um, so S-Bahn, subway, something like that, into the inner city. Then you walk, possibly rent a bicycle, whatever. So you're switching modes to get from A to B, and mm -hmm. you do that back. And each of the modes is different. And for each mode, you have one, two, three, four, five operators. So that's fragmentation already on this level. Then you got fragmentation mm -hmm. on the number of companies that do this. And then you will find that every city is an island on its own. So you have another fragmentation between city A and city B. The operators are not the same. So all of a sudden, you don't have one company that handles all of your mobility, whoever you bought your car from, but you're consuming mobility from, over the course of a month, possibly 10, 15, 20, 30 companies. What is the dream user experience here? Think Amazon again. The dream user experience, all of this is doable with one onboarding, one digital identity, and one payment relationship. That's how it should be. You don't want those 15, 20 mobility apps that you're currently using. Well, based on that, you, the analysis is, was and still is, this can either go, it must be streamlined. So for the user, it must feel like, let's how Uber and Bolt and My Taxi feel right now. That's from the user experience. It should be one app or one entry point but it shouldn't be the same for every single user. If I want to use this white label app, then I use this white label app and I should be able to consume the integrated services. If you buy your app from another company, they should also be able to do that. This is not possible right now and the integration between one operator and the other is un impossible. The only way to integrate is every, basically to gobble everybody up, which is exactly what's happening. So the big players gobble everybody up and they integrate it by swallowing. But if you do look at Web3, you can do this in another way. You can basically integrate simply because of the composability of Web3. Because Web3 is a protocol like TCP IP, it's composable. So one company builds something and the other company builds something. We don't need to coordinate. We don't need a contract. We don't need to negotiate because we're using the same protocol the same technology, my software can interact with your software. This is what made DeFi so big. Lots of people mm -hmm. pro programming on the same protocol stack, and then you can just plug the one to the next, and nobody needs to be asked for permission. And here, this is why Daimler said, all right, we understand the story, show us you can do it, and they gave me the opportunity and the mandate to build a platform that essentially builds the technical infrastructure for check-in, check-out rental modes, and it handles everything. So you buy a ticket 
You buy, essentially it's an NF ticket. You buy an NF ticket, you can top it up, and then you present it when you check in, you present it when you check out, whether it's a driver or whether it's a, 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 a digital device. And the platform just handles everything and it distributes the revenue in that moment. That's essentially what the platform does. And it's not sexy, but it's a huge market. Oh, you know, when you when you tell that story, the the, the entire the entire reveal is, of course, enormous. I mean, when you, you know, when you, when you consider that a, a normal human being is just going to transport themselves in the, you know, through all the, the methods that you've described, you know, you'll you'll walk if you're using public transport, you'll walk from your house to a bus stop or a metro station. Right. And then, you know, when, when you're getting to your office or the place that you want to go, you're either walking again or if you have the opportunity, you can cycle in various places. Um, and, and, you know, when, when, you, when you think about it, if we just take the taxis, for example, right? Uh, when you're in Singapore, you're using Grab. When you're in, you know, uh, uh, other spaces, you're using Uber. If you're in the U.S., you're using Lyft. Uh, and, you know, it, it would be numerous, especially if you're a, you're a traveler in various spaces or sometimes even in various parts of the same country or the same uh, the same continent right uh, you, you you have a strength with different service providers and and this this as a solution really begins to get us to understand why this space is you know uh, so huge it's it's one that we haven't really paid a lot of attention to yes exactly it's it's it doesn't it's not obvious and for me I would have Let's be honest, if I hadn't entered mm -hmm. Daimler and I was the last CTO in China of Car2Go right. and Car2Share, it was there too often. If I hadn't been accidentally exposed to this and realized this, I would have, I was infatuated with blockchain and Web3 before that. I would most probably not have picked that topic. But once mm -hmm. I saw the topic and I saw the opportunities, it's humongous. It's, however, of, because it is not sexy, it takes patience. It takes takes a lot of biddling power. You need to build, build, build. You need to focus on getting mm -hmm. it done. And you know, you you're never on the hype wave with this business. That's definitely sure. Well, well, yes. This is and this is certainly this is certainly something that you know we it makes for a fantastic case, right? Um, Harry, this is your 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 spot on when you say that um, you know un until you you pay attention to it. Uh, you, you don't realize exactly how how huge the 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 impact is or, or what you're doing uh, when it comes to this. So uh, I'm certain that this must be challenging also in a way for you to get more people involved, uh, more stakeholders, more of a community. Uh, what has been some learnings on this journey for you? Yes, the learnings are, the sh I'll give the short version first and then I'll elaborate a little bit. The learnings okay. is... The good enough is the very worst enemy of progress. That is the lesson I've learned. And I'll put that in context in mentioning what leapfrogging is and then explain mm -hmm. a little bit with mobile money and PESA. So good enough. So if you look at Europe, Germany, especially Germany, the mm -hmm. Netherlands, Austria countries, I know very, very well because I live here and I know how things work. Things are definitely good enough. So we have public transport, we have bicycles, the roads are good. In such an environment, you will not be able to come to come in and do a dis and 
deliver a service which is radically disruptively different. Uh, different. It will not work. There's so many resistance, so much inertia. It, it, we've never done it this way. Why should we be doing this? Why take the risk, etc., etc. So at the end of the day, the biggest lesson learned, do not go into a market which has a lot of good enough for something that you're trying to offer, which took us to, we ultimately pivoted and said, all right, we will go, we will, we'll go to market in the emerging markets. So we went live of all places, not exactly the first place you think of, but it does make a lot of sense, to doom, to doom, Nigeria. So we went live yeah. in June in Nigeria. And here I'll speak a little bit about leapfrogging and it actually, the definition of it is older, but the most famous example happened in Kenya in Africa, roughly 20, okay. 30 years ago. When mobile banking appeared, it was nothing else but seriously glorified SMSs. So you did an initial pre-identification uh, of your mobile phone, I'm not kidding. And then the money transfers were just SMSs which were a little bit authenticated and somebody had an operate a banking license in the background and then based on that sent you another sms and because they had enough uh, critical mass this became mobile money and mpesa is mm -hmm. the people who started this and this is where it falls together because there was no good enough in kenya at the time neither mm -hmm. on banking nor on all of the technology it they completely leapfrogged so they they basically omitted the generation of technology which is in place in the de so-called developed countries, which they didn't have, and they went to the next level of technology, which is the better technology. So all of a sudden, right. when it comes to ease of doing mobile banking, Africa and China are vastly ahead of Europe. I can tell you that. I lived in China, and I've seen mm -hmm. how it's done in Nigeria. The speed and ease of mobile banking is much more comfortable than anything you got in Europe because they leapfrogged and they didn't have good enough. So they were willing mm -hmm. and able to really embrace radically new. That at the end of the day was for me the most, the deepest learning because I was not prepared for that. I hadn't right. realized it until I experienced it. And in crypto, that's the case. I mean, look at how slow crypto is in many ways in the US, how mm -hmm. slow, relatively speaking, it is an acceptance also even in Europe. And look at, on the other side, you can think what you want about them politically, but look at countries like El Salvador, for instance, mm -hmm. or also Venezuela, and also Argentina, right. and also, by the way, Nigeria, yes. where it's really being embraced. Exactly. Exactly. I think you're, you're, you're right when you, when you put it in that context, you know, um, especially when it comes to Sorry. Sorry, Harry, go ahead. I think I cut you off. No, you didn't. No, no, I, I did not say anything. Oh, all right. Okay. So um, I, I think, yes, you're, you're spot on there because these are exactly the, the hotspots where they've embraced crypto and crypto in a way that it's used for, for payments in your usual transactions, right? We, because we don't think about it anymore. We, we, we don't pay attention to the fact that we're using, um, uh, you know, a, a direct from your mobile pay system or a credit card or, you know, an, an online payment system or uh, the, your phone to phone network. Right. And it and 
I, I like when you've you've spot spotlighted these speci specific economies um, and, and in in these countries because they're the ones that didn't pay a lot of where rather I wouldn't say it didn't pay a lot of attention. Right, I'm getting tongue tied with this point because it's it's one that that excites me a lot. I I like the fact that uh, these economies are ones that I want to put a spotlight on, especially because of exactly like you're saying, the leapfrogging effect, right? These are the ones that are going to pave the way when it comes to the adoption of this new financial system. And in, in so many ways, just by virtue of using the finance first, the rest of the technology being integrated into every other business is what will really bring those economies out. Now, this is what, uh, of course, I'm, 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 going by a particular economic trend, uh, you know, from the industrial revolution, of course, but I believe that these are the spaces that are going to have something to offer in the years to come. Yeah, I agree. So it, it, it's definitely a different world to do business in. And in the end, we will re-import it into Europe. So we will, just like mobile money, at the end of the day, it was re-imported. Mm -hmm. So now we have it right. more or less in Europe. Still not half as good as China or Kenya or Nigeria mm -hmm. for that case. In Nigeria, if I do a bank transfer, bing, bing, bing. I can be, do it on the phone. And while I'm mm -hmm. talking to you, I will hear the bing in your mobile phone that the money arrived. Forget that in Germany. I'm seriously, it's two days. Wow. I'm not joking. It's two days. Two days. And no bing, bing, bing on your, and no, yeah. Minimum one, usually two. Mm -hmm. And if you do it on a wow, Friday, it's three. Wow, that's that's remarkable. I mean, I would never ex have expected that this aspect would be, uh, you know, it would take that long. Yeah, banking is because it's protected and because it's good mm -hmm. enough and because it's hyper-regulated, the, mm -hmm. the players can afford to be very, very, very smug and very, very, well, we've, we'll, anyway, we got our captive audience. No need to oh. ra get radically innovative here. Well, that's a, that's, of course, that's a, that's an interesting perspective. I'm also curious to know if, if you could shed some light on the quantum of middlemen that would be involved in a transaction like this, because especially when you talk about such high degrees of regulation, there's going to be, you know, your immediate points of validation right, by some agency or corp, uh, mm. corporation. And then you're also going to have an, a back-end audit that comes into it. So there's a lot of yes. players that are going through yes. one financial transaction. Yes. And wow. Especially when it comes to financial transactions. I mean, I don't know when you last tried in a Western world to open a bank account. I am. I have no priors. I'm a mm -hmm. law-abiding citizen. I So I'm... I walk on the straight and narrow, right? Yet, right. if I am to open a simple bloody bank account to just pay whatever my bills, the right. effort it takes. So I, I, I was in uh, Portugal for almost a okay. year now, and I tried to open mm -hmm. a bank account. Forget that. Forget that. It's not happening. Is show me this, show me that. We need this form, we need that form. Oh no! And uh, how? Bring me this document and bring me that document. It's really painful and very slow to just open a bank account. And then, whenever you want to basically register yourself with, I don't know, 
register yourself with an online portal here, online portal there. You always got mm -hmm. slowdowns. Now look at Web3. MetaMask right. on, boom, boom, tuck, tuck. Okay, got everything I need. I'm enabled. So the speed of wow. things is just so different. And unfortunately, there is one thing which comes on top of all of this. Again, disclaimer, disclaimer, right. this is my personal point of view. It's, it's not a political mm -hmm. statement, blah, 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 blah. But mm -hmm. we live, at least in Northern Europe in and in China, definitely, and in the US. We live in a world where regulation is becoming, let's put it nicely, not exactly enabling of productivity anymore. And regulation mm -hmm. has gone so far now and it's at every right. level and it slows down things so much also in the building of it. You, in order to build a simple web shop, you need to have already, right. you need to get approved here, compliance here, whatever here. Regulation is now becoming a big technological impediment on its own. So, and all of that, at least for the time being, is not right. really there in crypto yet. In crypto, at least when it comes to the doing, you can do. When it comes to the possession of things, you can right. handle immediately. You don't need to ask anybody. There is no middleman needed mm -hmm. because whatever the middleman, mm -hmm. the accountant, the taxman, the auditor, the right. compliance officer, well, consensus handles that for you. Your smart contract is all of that plus more and infinitely more secure. Indeed. So you don't need the middleman. Yeah. You don't need the middleman. Exactly. You know, I mean, so that's that's that circles back to to exactly the the, the same point that you you'd highlighted, especially when it comes to uh, when it comes to mobility and when it comes to companies having a business model where they the more they interact with the customer, the more that it builds. You know, it it builds loyalty, it builds your um, your steady user base and a relationship. More, most importantly, a, a relationship between your customer and yourself. Um, uh, I'm sorry. I'm I'm at a loss again because I'm I'm still thinking about it's been a year and that that bank account in Portugal. <laughs> Good lord. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I mean, try. It's I mean, nightmare. Give it a shot. Give it a shot next time you spend more than a month in a place you have, huh. where mm -hmm. you don't have your bank. Just give it a shot. Try right. it yourself. You will find how painful oh, it is for all of the whatever well-meant reasons that are being quoted here for this. But the effect is. Mm -hmm. The friction is 99% of the effort is stamp, this stamp or that stamp. Oh, boy. It's got nothing okay. to do with okay. the technical that's, ability. That's, of that's far anyway. too long. That's, that's just far too long. I mean, you know, in, in comparison, I, I, I was involved in opening up a business in, in Singapore. And I kid you not, they oh. did exactly what they said they would do, right? They do that in 48 yeah, hours. Singapore, you, you yes. Go into your yes, registration. Singapore. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, and the Singapore, of the Singapore and Hong Kong. Singapore, <laughs> Hong Kong, a few places in Switzerland. There is there is islands of happiness left in the world. I agree. <laughs> yeah, indeed, because you know it can be it can be so nightmarish when it comes to when it comes to just having these these regulations. I mean, even even Dubai, for that matter, it it does take a little while, but at least you know you're you're aware it's clean. You know, there isn't. The, your expectation is clearly set, and I think that that is one of the things um, that that really goes to show that a place is organized and well enough. But also coming back to this, and I, I want to touch upon this point: when you say that 
um, you know, it, it, there's a lot of truth in, in the statement you've made when it comes to uh, regulation not being empowering. Um, it, the, the entire objective is actually to have smoother transitions, uh, you know, and ease of, of your, uh, not just doing business, but the ease of that transaction happening. And it's either the quantum of middlemen or the quantum of regulation that seems to be counterproductive, though it was the intention is to make things actually go smoother. Indeed. So that is, yeah, yes, it's, it's, it's baffling that that's where it's reached. Yes, but I mean, let's, we all, we all live in the real world, right? There is two intentions. There is the stated intention, and then there is also intention, but the one that you don't speak about. So I would, I would argue, right. and again, without pinpointing mm -hmm. to anybody directly. So let's take the example of banking and the regulation mm -hmm. there. The arguments why it's needed are always the same, right? But there is another, at least an effect that it has, and show me the incentives and I'll show you the outcome, is what one of the Buffett uh, partners once said. So the fact of this is, and people actually use this even in venture pitches, that it creates a beautiful entry barrier into a business for the incumbents. And this is actually, when you go to a venture company, one of the, one of the things that they want is, they want this so-called unfair advantage. And if you have a license mm. in a regulated business, that's a typical one example here, it's very hard for right. somebody to get a banking license. It takes millions of dollars, right? So right. it makes life easier for the incumbents. This could, of course, be purely coincidence, but the effect is there. Mm -hmm. And then we, ha we do know what lobbyists are. And we do know how the political right. system works. So one thing leads to the other here. So the longer this is in place, it all starts well-meaning. Absolutely. But the right. longer it's in place, the mm -hmm. more it will become loaded with friction for whatever reasons. And this is, unfortunately, I see this. I, I mean, again, this is my personal opinion, but I do believe right. that especially the Western European approach to regulation, mm -hmm. which is essentially, if it's not allowed, if it's not allowed, it's you can't do it. If there's no law, you're not allowed to do it. Mm -hmm. As opposed to Singapore, and Singapore's on a tipping point yeah. right now, but Singapore originally, Hong Kong definitely still, and the US in some aspects mm -hmm. is, if there's no law, okay, go ahead and do it. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, go ahead and do it. This is simply not indeed, possible. Indeed. And especially in the German-speaking countries, there's a certain mentality. People actually don't like that. People don't want right. things to be allowed if they're not regulated. So, but the effect of it, let's for, that's all, you know, at the end of psychology. But what it means mm -hmm. is, think about building a product. And again, I'm an engineer, right? I'm thinking about mm -hmm. simply the mechanisms needed and the tools needed to deliver the product, not more, not less. So right. if I build a product and I can use something like Web3, ignore mm -hmm. all of the other overhead that is there, I end up mm -hmm. having 10% of the effort that I need to do it if I do it based on Web2 and all the middlemen and all the regulatory steps that are needed to get it into right. place. So we're in a world now where regulation and reporting and compliance and data protection and all of that together is 90% of the actual effort, of the cost. 
Right. And that is irrational, Indeed. in my personal opinion. And you don't have that yet on Web3. In Web3, you do it. It's anyways mm -hmm. 100% transparent. And there is zero of that overhead. So you are orders of magnitude faster in delivering right. a product in the Web3 world than you would be in the Web2. Orders of magnitude, not percentage. Multiply, multiplies. Brian, um, you know, so, so that, that, being, that being said, uh, Harry, I, I really want you to, um, you know, we, we've spoken a lot about regulation and I, I also want to, curiously, I, I, and I know that our listeners today and those that, that are going to listen later as well, uh, will want to know, right? We've taken, we, rather, you've taken with Bloxmove, uh, a business that may not have a direct appeal, right? Uh, mm -hmm. we, we talked about mobility. Uh, you know, you have also hit on, on on power. I mean, we we can spend more time on that. But I also want to know, for from your perspective, when when you speak about product, when you speak about it being em, em, you know empowering uh, businesses, what I want to know is what are some of the other businesses that may have have come to your mind as ideas that really could benefit, that could make pivotal or the leapfrogging uh, advances that, that you've seen in the spaces that you've been, what are some of the businesses that should get into Web3 and make our life easier? Oh, then the company that uh, that we have founded is actually not called Bloxmove. It's the brand name. The company is power, called Power and Mobility. And so okay. that's the two industries. So power, electric power and energy in general. And mm -hmm. so we all by know now what carbon credits are. I think in one way or the other, we've all right. heard the term carbon credits, carbon offsets. Um, it's, it's measured in units of carbon dioxide. There's certain calculations behind it. And there's voluntary carbon credits where people go invest and essentially you, you plant trees, etc. And then you have mm -hmm. something which is closely related because the purpose is the same. It's essentially to make the world a greener place. It's called renewable energy certificates which is mm -hmm. proof of electricity having been produced green, meaning no fossils. And the term here right. is renewable energy certificate. That here mm -hmm. the unit is kilowatt hours as opposed to carbon di dioxide kilograms or tons, okay? Those are the two main certifications that are used in the mm -hmm. energy sector to prove and document that you are greenifying whatever process you're running whatever factory you're using, whatever mining for Bitcoin, for instance, whatever mining rigs you're operating. If you look at, and we, that's a, a business we are still pretty much in stealth mode doing right now, but mm -hmm. take the example of a renewable energy certificate, which is, it allows me, for instance, I operate an event, it, I calculate how much electricity I will be using, 10,000 kilowatt hours, I'm inventing a number now, and now I want to ensure that I'm doing this green. What do I do? I procure, and there's a market, there's markets for this and registries. Mm -hmm. There is companies in Norway that let water run down the hill or wind will, that's, uh, or run solar panels in Northern Africa, etc. that produce 100% certified green power. And in addition to selling the power into the grid itself, they also have a proof, right. another name for this is guaranteed of origin, they have a proof that they just produced 
1,000 kilowatt hours, 10,000 kilowatt hours, 100% renewable. This proof can be transferred. It can be traded. So I can then buy it off you. And once I have bought it off you, then the 10, I can use 10,000 kilowatt of, of, of power. And because I bought the guarantees of origin for those 10,000 kilowatt hours, which were produced green, I run my event in this case carbon free. So this is a renewable energy certificate. Now they get traded just like mandatory carbon credits do. Now we come to the crux. Right. Think about, you know, if you see pictures of New York Stock Exchange in the 1960s, you know, people on the telephone yelling, ah, gah, 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 oh, okay, and funny <laughs> hand movement, deal closed. Well, it's not that dynamic yet, but right now these certificates, they are being sold over the phone. I need to know somebody whom I can call and then I purchase it. He looks into his local database. Then he sends me a PDF and that was the deal. Mm -hmm. So, which means I cannot resell it, obviously, because if I resell it, how do I prove this PDF is original? There's not even a digital signature on these things. So long story short, this is very much over the counter and very much not Mm -hmm. really digital yet. What needs to be done here is, and this is where NFTs are perfect. So what needs to be done here, you take such a certificate, you convert it into what's called a verifiable credential, which can then very easily be translated into NFT. And all of a sudden, you got the big wide world of Web3 to make very safe and very traceable and immutable and fully transparent transfer of possession in unlimited form until ultimately at some point in time, somebody so-called retire these renewable energy certificate, Mm -hmm. at which time the NFT will have to be burnt and then it has been consumed. Mm -hmm. This is not, just like Wall Street only got big in the 80s when the computers came, this has not happened in the field of carbon credits and it has not happened in the field of renewable energy certificates. And I still remember a quote, unfortunately it's not from me, but I hold it to be true. The biggest financial product of the 2030s will be Mm -hmm. green energy certificates. It'll be a multi-trillion dollar market. Think about it. Think about what's happening around you with climate climate and offsetting here, offsetting there, tax here, tax here, proof of green here, carbon credits, etc. This will be trillions of dollars that will be spent here. And these will be certified. They will need to be traded. And of course, they will be traded just like Wall Street trades them now, which is unlimited speed and digital and seamless. And here I believe crypto has a humongous play. Web3 has a humongous role to play. Digitize it, automate it. Don't even call it tokenized. Of course it's tokenization, but that'll scare people off right now. Just automate the bloody process. Which means in fact, you will be tokenizing it. That is the biggest opportunity right now, which I see. Wow, that's a that's a that's a lot to think about because when you think about carbon credits and it being listed, for example, as a commodity on the stock exchange, I mean that's that's a whole different ballgame, right? That's that's a fantastic way to bring attention to it in the people that move it, who will then um, you know double down on an engine that creates awareness about it. Uh, it, it it always starts by following the money, and if we can, and if that becomes a commodity. 
uh, then yes, yeah. greener practices, uh, you know, all across the planet, it could it could spark a movement. Maybe not from the best source, <laughs> but but definitely definitely something to look forward to. So we are already dabbling in this. This will take time, but this mm -hmm. is definitely where. And I believe, you know, that stock exchange was the 1990s and the 2000s. If you if you are mm -hmm. to enter this uh, space now, do it with Web3. Mm -hmm. Why do an why do a, an uh, IPO if you can do? It used to be called an ICO. I'm sure that word is yeah. burnt by now. But if you can mm -hmm. just tokenize it, think about the smoothness and the easiness and the flexibility you have all of a sudden. And all of a sudden, all of what you, that has already been built in the DeFi and the ERC-20 and the ERC-721 and the ERC-1155 and all these beautiful standards that are so available mm -hmm. to anybody who knows how to code can basically right. make it just part of the internet. Indeed. Indeed. I mean, there, there's certainly interesting times ahead. Uh, Harry, I've got a lot more questions for you, but I know that we've got limited time on the show. So I'm going to, uh, I'm going to ask you um, one of the questions that was foremost in my mind. Um, you know, we, we speak about this in, in some ways. I'm also curious to know if there are certain businesses that should either A, not be tokenized uh, or ones that, you know, at, at this point, just uh, it's a lost cause. Well, what are your thoughts um, on the, you know, there's, I'll take you, there's two businesses, which at the beginning mm -hmm. of blockchain, everybody mm -hmm. and his neighbor said, oh, blockchain, blockchain, blockchain. And the most obvious one is supply chain. So there was okay. a huge hype. Oh, supply chain, blockchain, plus mm -hmm. supply chain. And, you know, the typical example was the, uh, um, child labor mining for the cobalt batteries in inner Africa. So a warlord right. operates, you know, child slavery to extract cobalt, and that cannot be allowed, blah, blah, blah. So, and blockchain to the rescue. And this is where I hold my head in despair. Because, guys, blockchain cannot help you in any which way. Why? Hmm. Blockchain is a 100% digital thing. It has nothing to do with physical reality. In fact, it is purposely cut off of physical reality to the way that you even need what's called oracles to get facts from the web two into a blockchain is already a difficult and a break in paradigm. So blockchain is isolated in itself. Within that, it's perfect, but it's 100% virtual digital. If you have a real world identity proving problem, then blockchain is not your technology. Once right. you have ascertained the truth, and here's something like verifiable credentials and decentralized identifiers, but most of all the actual audit, who do you trust in all of this to provide you with, I have seen that this, basically what the NGOs do nowadays, they are real mm -hmm. people, they must be on the ground. So this is, right. stay away from anybody who's trying to sell you a business, I am inventing a new blockchain system to make this supply chain or that supply chain better. It cannot work because the one you, what you need to ensure is, physically speaking, you need to prove that mm -hmm. this block of cobalt comes from here and not right. from there. And that's got nothing to do with blockchain. Right. And the other one is something like real estate. 
people mm-hmm. all also believe now blockchain would be perfect for real estate. I have to say it's simply not needed because okay. if you have a vertical chain of trust which is in place and which will not be broken and should not be broken, which is the actual mm-hmm. land registry, however it's called in your country, the way it works must be this way. There is no other possible way how a land register mm-hmm. works. And the players, they... The, all, the players are already there. So you can centralize the language, you can digitize it, but it doesn't make sense to put something like blockchain decentralized in it because think about it. You are, when you buy a piece of land in most countries, you, anyway, you need to go to a notary right. for a good reason, by the way. So if mm-hmm. it, it's on purpose that you physically ascertain the players and get their faces, their signature, their passport, etc., because of the domain of business and that mm-hmm. all of the players are there and known, blockchain is simply, it doesn't make sense to tokenize real estate. It, it doesn't make sense. This is because the, the cutoff is essentially, do you have a lot of individuals who's, who don't need, shouldn't need to know each other's name, who shouldn't mm-hmm. need to negotiate, but who still want to somehow right. make business. If you got a scenario like that, blockchain's your friend. If that is not the case, then you're probably not well served with blockchain. Fair enough. I think that that, that is crystal clear, uh, the domain that which, which blockchain falls in. And I, I, I know that there's going to be a lot of broken hearts uh, across the industry, when it comes to when it comes to both these cases that you've pointed out, uh, both with the utility of blockchain and you know the the tokenization of of real estate, which at one point of time was was a huge movement, um, yes. but I think it got it got relegated to just um, you know uh, in to simplify it, uh, basically a timeshare to be able to utilize a, a property. Right, or fractional ownership, right? That's that's where they went with it. All right, interesting. Um, uh, Harry, I, I want to get your perspective before I take a, a question from the audience. Um, you know, the the industry when it comes to both power and um, and and mobility, right? In in both cases, where do you see this going? Say five years from now, uh, ten years from now. Well, the two industries, and this is why they're merging from a forget the software technology. What is happening more and more Mm -hmm. is, and this is where the name comes from, um, renewable, so what is now, it seems at least, one of the biggest problems on mankind's mind is climate change and how to deal with it. And part of that, as we all know, is to completely electrify mobility. So no more Mm -hmm. diesel, no more gasoline. So electric mobility. Now, uh, that's number one. And also now make sure that the first half of the equation, so electric mobility means you don't emit carbon, but it doesn't say anything about mm-hmm. did you put black electricity or green electricity into your car? I could be belching coal fumes in order to produce the electricity to power your car, or I could do pristine mm-hmm. solar panels. Okay, so that's the first half of the life cycle. And those two right. need to be greenified okay so far so good there's Mm -hmm. one big problem with renewable energy if you have coal and you burn it or if you have nuclear and you um you use it whatever you have a machine so if you use it 
then you turn the machine up. If you don't use it, you use mm-hmm. the, turn the machine down. Your coal stays there for whenever you want to use it. The energy stays there. It, it doesn't run away. Right. Renewable is not the case. You need to harvest the wind now. The wind now mm-hmm. is not a wind tomorrow. So if you want to harvest it, you need to harvest it now. But the biggest problem with networks is networks are not storage mm-hmm. systems. Networks are networks. Right. You put something in, it's like a pipe. Very simple. A pipe mm-hmm. is a pipe. So if you put something into the pipe, it needs to flow out. Otherwise, your pipe will burst. And this is what happens in the energy sector with renewables. You got days where windy summers, and even yeah. better, everybody's on vacation. You're simply producing more power than is required. And you, mm-hmm. so you need to store it. There is not enough storage left except mobility come to the rescue. The mm-hmm. batteries in electric cars can mm-hmm. easily supply more energy storage than all the hydroelectric plants, which are used now. Nowadays, what people do is essentially you pump water up the hill to store energy. Right. So you use electricity to pump it up the hill. And then when you want the energy back, you let the water run down the hill again and you retrieve your energy mm-hmm. by way of tur- turbine. But those are in Central Europe, they're all used. The, the uh, Swiss the Norwegians and the Austrians make a lot of money right. out of their water with this, but that's taken. Mm-hmm. Electric cars, vehicle to grid can solve that. It can really, really solve that. And this is wow. where power and mobility. Yes. And that's our one Tesla or forget it. Yeah. One Tesla has enough power. Mm-hmm. Let's say you have a two or two or, or three band household in that battery is more than you would be using in five days of power in your whole household. A a car battery, don't forget, a car battery moves a ton of metal for, Mm -hmm. let's say, 500 kilometers. That's a hell of a lot of power. So if you, what you would then, you would have to do is, now when they're charging, bidirectional charging. So not only can you charge them up, but you can also retrieve the power or you can store the energy in the battery of this electric vehicle when you don't need it. And then you're pumping water up the hill. And then when you want it back, those cars that are connected because they're being charged, you basically take the power off now. And just before five o'clock or six o'clock in the morning, you make sure the power flows back in. So there's a lot of research done here. And this is where Mm -hmm. power and mobility will merge. And the green grid of the future will be a grid in which an electric vehicle is part of the power grid. And this is the big revolution that's happening in power and mobility. This is also slow. I'm talking 10 years minimum here, but this is, yeah. it's clear that this has to happen. You know, uh, Harry, the, the way that you've described it, you've, you're, you're describing the decentralization of power, right? Literally yes. decentralization of power by creating that many uh, nodes, if you will, which can, which, can, um, which can take as well as give back, more importantly, into the grid. Yes, as they, that, that's, they, that's phenomenal. They, they even have a word for it in the energy sector. So anybody in the innovation sector of the power grid will know the word prosumer. It's a word that industry created. It's an artificial word coming from producer-consumer. So exactly, so, prosumer, right. and there should actually be a third aspect to it because you also need the storage because of the way mm-hmm. renewable energies, and also, by the way, the spikes from electric cars, right. if they all come in at 6 mm-hmm. p.m. and plug their electric mm-hmm. uh, car in, that's a tremendous spike. You, the Chinese have that problem. 
because they have far more electric vehicles than anybody else. They have the problem of yeah. the demand spike. Well, you know, interestingly, I'm, I'm, my my brain goes to the fact that all these all these uh, EVs that are that are lying underutilized or unutilized uh, can now be put to good use. And you know, the sooner that yes. that um, regulators get around to that, the, the better for everybody. To be honest. Yes. And that will be interesting because there's a lot of intricacies here. The devil, a lot of devils are in a lot of details here, but yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, been fantastic. Harry, it's been absolute, an absolute pleasure listening to you, to you on the show today. There's, there has been so much to learn. I, I really would like to take this for another hour. Maybe we'll do a part two of the show. Uh, a lot to speak about. But my last question to you before I take two, I take one question from the audience. I, I can see there's around 14 or 15 questions that have, uh, comments that have come in. Um, uh, my question to you is, uh, Harry, you've shared with us uh, not just your background, but what your vision has been, uh, the area that you're you're moving, you're, you know, hacking away every day to create a, a wonderful future. But my question to you is, Harry, what's your personal philosophy and what keeps you going? What keeps me going is, I hinted at it, I believe in mm -hmm. free individuals. I believe in the self-sovereign individual. And I believe we need... As we need a space where a self-reliant, self-sovereign individual can live freely. This is what keeps me going. And this is one of the biggest fascinations for me with Web3, because look at the network state, which if you've ever, mm -hmm. if you not Google it, they're trying to do this at a higher level. But I believe, and I personally love the degrees of freedom that potentially something like Web3 can put in the hands of those who know how to use it. That keeps me going and I would pay to do my job. Right. Wow. Wow. I, I think that that is, that is something, those are words to, to, to live by. If you know, you found purpose so deep where you would pay to do, uh, you would pay to do your job. Um, that is, you know, hats off to you, Harry. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Okay, um, Harry, very quickly, I'm, I'm going to take one question. I, I believe this has come from Helena Lewis. It says, how does using blockchain components help to improve cross-company transactions in the mobility industry? Well, that's a perfect example for what we are doing, essentially. Think of it this way. We mm -hmm. have an engine at the bottom of our platform, which is called NFTicket. So it's an NFT which, mm -hmm. ha which has the necessary information and also the necessary ERC-20s, so the liquid currency, mm -hmm. to pay, okay? So you can okay. have 10 different app providers, 10 different companies offering all kinds of services with all kinds of vehicles or assets or charging stations which belong to them. And in Web3, if you have, if you then agree that I hold the customer relationship for you, Helena, so you have gone through, come through my white labeled app and I sold you that NF ticket. And Peter sold an NF ticket to John. But the operator for Peter can now accept your NF ticket without having to know anything about it and give you access to his service without any coordination and with knowing that he will receive his money because the engine, the Web3 machinery underneath, make sure that when you check in, 
a certain amount of ERC20s are blocked. And when you check out, a certain amount of ERC20 are sent to their account and nobody else's account because that's in the smart contract. So one company offers you mobility with their app for electric scooter. Another company offers you charging with their charging and their app. And the customer of both can be the clients of both without any contract negotiation interfaces or whatever need to be put in place at all. It's completely seamless. This is the power of decentralized technology. And do note the important part. Both of them own their respective customer relationship. You never lose your customer as the provider and as the operator. That's the beauty of using it in a scenario such as mobility. Brilliant. Um, Harry, thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you so much once again for being part of the show today. We've had a fantastic discovery of this journey and the vision that that comes ahead. It, you know, you've, you've painted as a, a, fin, a, a fantastic future to look forward to. Well, it's, there's nothing good unless you do it, as they say in German. So let's do it. <laughs> and it was a pleasure. By the way. Indeed. All right. Perfect. Thank you so much, Harry. And thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for being on the show today. Remember, next week, we're back at the same time in the same place with a new show on diving into crypto. Tune in also on Tuesdays for our sister show, The Future of NFTs, hosted by co AdLunum's co-founder, Nathia Bester. Ladies and gentlemen, I've been JP from AdLunum INC, bringing you everything about Web3. Have a good one. Cheers. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of Diving Into Crypto, proudly hosted by AdLunum, the first engaged-to-earn platform with a proof-of-attention model and dynamic NFT investor profiles.